What's up, gamers? This is Battle Mallet Podcast, episode 47. Exed. Gnarlwood Rivals Review. Grincrack's Loon Court and the Fearsome Fortress. We have got to figure out how to shorten those titles. Uh, for anyone that isn't familiar, the Battle Mallet Podcast is uh, the journey of three busy gamers playing games that they love, balancing life with those games, and attending the Nova Open Convention every year. My name is Jared Johnson, and tonight I am joined by Trace Hyde. I'm going loony. And Jason Table New Murray. I'm on a quest to figure this out. Nice. Well, I'm just going to huddle in my fortress away from you questing loons. <laughs> um, so uh, tonight's episode, the bulk of the material will be reviewing Grincrack's Loon Court and the Fearsome Fortress Rivals deck uh, in our standard Rivals review format. We're going to dip into some Nemesis content as well. Um, and then we'll close out the show. So, uh, But before we get into any of that, I think it's important that we talk about what everybody's been up to. So, Trace? Uh, so, been playing a few games of Underworlds. Um, uh, tested out some fun decks with the old uh, the Gore Chosen of Drom. Trying out a um, kind of a domain heavy plink damage centric kind of deck. Um, it's had mixed mixed results so far. It's been it's been something a little different than my tip traditional way of playing, which is more straightforward in your face. Just roll a lot of dice and then roll a bunch of misses. That's what usually happens with me. <laughs> um, so you know, trying to transition away from that and just play a little more heady game. Um, but it's been fun. Uh, I've I've enjoyed it. I've played three games now with that deck I believe uh, played against Jared and the Sons of Velmorn uh, in a retooled game because Jason talked him into playing a different rivals deck to pair with them and <laughs> they turned out to be a lot better with that deck than the other one and then I played against Jason the other night in our uh, in our normal meetup time with the uh, Hexbane's Hunters which was pretty gross because he brought a lot of hits and, and people died and stuff. So <laughs> I was hot. It was hot. He, hot he dice. Was, the dice Hunter, were hot that night. Hunter's gonna hunt, man. Yeah. It was a it was a bloody game. Um but you know so that's what I've been up to in as far as playing. Um I've picked up a couple boxes of MCP, the game that we shall not talk about. Um, <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about it. It's fine. And then, uh, so I picked up Blob and Pyro, and then I have plans to pick up the Wolverine and Sabretooth box at some point. To, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna put Wolverine in my Midnight Suns list that I am cooking up. Oh, fun! Nice. Um, and then I started painting the Loon Court, and also, uh. Zarbags gets. Zarbags gets. And the name escaped me briefly. But I figured if I'm going to paint some goblins, I might as, might as well paint all the goblins so they at least match one another. So there started working on that this week. Um, but yeah, it's been pretty, pretty steady little hobby trickle. Um, I like it. And I, I mean, playing 
those nemesis games with drum, I think the last game, like you really, you kind of like got the, the token management piece down, right? Cause you're, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, you're getting all the, the additional tokens and having to, to manage the inspire and all their abilities, although it did not go well, but you did take out like two dogs instantly, which like really hurt my feelings. Like all my support yeah. for the entire game was wrong. So I just had to roll all those crits. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I took two dogs to the pound and one activation. So that was, that was fun. <laughs> um, and then what was, there was something else that happened. If, if I had lived through your last attack with, was it Bridget that did it? Nah, it was no, Hex it was, himself. it was Hex Pain. Um, I would have but, scored but, like yeah, and I had to roll five glory at the end of the game. Yeah, because so, I, I needed the I needed the grievous to for anything to work, and I ended up by rolling the crit. So yeah, if you hadn't rolled the crit, I would have scored like five glory that round, which would have been awesome. But, but then on the other alas. table was Eddie against Jake, and they're going at it. We want to talk about crits. There was a double crit hit on two dice, and then there was a double crit defense in the same the same thing I to know. defend it it was that's great awesome yeah that's awesome so, um so good so that's what i'm up to jason what about you bud yeah i mean just to continue on got a game in with hexbane with tooth and claw from a nemesis standpoint um actually like the first time that i got to play with my painted models with hexbane i've kind of been i've always brought brought them with us but they never made it to the table so it was a lot of fun to get that and a couple things that I learned, I got to make a few tweaks to that deck that's posted on the website. Um, so, like, maybe take out an objective or two where I think it's one where you have to have three hunters or three fighters in enemy territory. And it's great early game, but not great late game. So I'll try to look for something better there to make some tweaks to that that deck. Uh, still played, still been playing and dabbling in my, my Shadeborn and Daring Delvers. I absolutely love that deck. I, I like... Nemesis in this in Narwood season has been so much fun for the Shadeborn for me. Um, really thinking through, uh, I play a uh, place objectives or place feature tokens style of build with a lot of attacks. Um, there is another build in there for plank damage, which I do think also works pretty well. Um, but my build again uh, has been updated on the website, and I just it's so much fun. I am a little concerned on Fearsome Fortress coming out because i do think my deck takes a hit um and you know just a, a little spoiler alert i did not rework them in fearsome fortress and i do think that there is some play with them where they could use fearsome fortress as a nemesis deck but i'm still going to stick with my daring delvers and then last but not least in my playing playing frenzy i've been playing daring delvers and eyes of the nine and winning because that is what you do is you play eyes of the nine and win that it's I don't like this is br- br- um, brought back so much joy in some older war bands and just finding little tr- tricks and inter- intricacies out in the decks and daring delvers and eyes of the nine. Let's face it, it's really just eyes of the nine with daring delvers. But there's like what I think seven cards of the whole thing of the objectives and power um, yeah. power deck. The whole thing from eyes of the nine, um, but they just play so well in there. You get to you know do some. Some good old Vortimus tricks. Um, I just horror like, tricks, yeah. all the fun stuff. Make the, the horror, make the horror the uh, an explorer. Yeah. He's oh, an yeah. explorer horror. 
Yep. Yep. He's ex- yeah. And you either um, deal with him and then the rest of my warband just keeps working their way up and, and scoring the objectives, or you don't deal with him and then he's an explorer horror in your backfield shooting you for for some some damage. So it's uh I've really like I've really, really enjoyed it. Um the other thing too is when we've been playing just straight rivals, because we got do have a couple new players um uh, that have come out. Uh I really like just to play Megor's Fiends and Tooth and Claw. Like it, I mean, I got beat up pretty bad by Ozark Bone Reapers in a game where I thought I had it won. And um, the Ozark Bone Reapers and Arrivals came back and won in uh, the third phase. But it's just really cool to to get in there. And it truly is a board game. Like, it's yeah. like, you know, I, I saw it in the back of the package for Fearsome Fortress, like, you know, open shuffle play. And it, it truly, truly is. And the fact that I have... 50 freaking war bands or whatever the heck it is to pick from. I just love it. Just, just playing games. Um, I think on the other front from a hobby, and this is to note a couple episodes ago, might've been last episode. I said that I was going to cut down on my purchases. Uh, I did buy loon court and I did buy fearsome fortress, but I've like, I've no blob in pyro, no weapon X, no like no sentinels, I've stayed true and to the point where I took Emma to buy a Lincoln and she's like, daddy, I thought you weren't going to buy any models because you were going to save to go back to Disney. And I was like, shut your mouth, kid. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Um, one exception, Emma. It is the one exception. And uh, she is aware she was just, uh, you know, giving me a hard time. Like I've taught her to, uh, but yeah, other than that, a lot of travel for me. So like balancing life and games, like we haven't recorded, uh, basically because I was gone and somebody else was sleeping. Uh, but traveled for work a couple times. It's been been a bit crazy, uh, and now we're into the holidays, so we'll travel again. You know, just yep. nutty, nutty stuff. Loony, yeah, loony stuff. All, all the loons. Yep. Jared. Yeah. So, I mean, just echoing playing a lot, lots of underworlds, um, getting games in with the, the Canaan's Reapers, which has been fun. And then, uh, just trying to run the, run the, uh, the gambit. That's not the word I'm looking for. Gamut. Yeah. That's the one running the gamut with, uh, sons of Elmore. And so, uh, started off with tooth and claw. Cause I think, uh from the get-go they look like they want to be aggro uh but after some coaching from coach jason uh decided that sons of velmorn really want to be and sink into that counter punch uh and so i have been working on a deck that uses uh daring delvers um to kind of lean into that counter punch where you know i'm able to score things by staying in or close to my own territory Uh, forcing you to come to my fighters um it certainly does not hurt when uh old old jedrin goes in and bops we're not we're not talking about it right now (laughs) now how did that happen though what did what happened to make that happen is i used drom in the first round to pull you in thinking oh he's got a two sword attack it'll be fine Yep. And then you just pop the shit out of the gore, the 
Oh, the Gore Hulk. It was not. It was, it was standing. Not, it went precariously went. next to a lethal axe. So the next thing you knew, the Gore Hulk had one yeah. one wound remaining. Yeah, I'm, I might have been trying to score. You know, have that, some wound counters on you. Or, have some wound counters, and then I was I might have been trying to score some shenanigans with a two to two glory objective for killing you with a ploy or a lethal hex. So, yeah. 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 But, but uh yeah, but that's but it's been fun and uh you know, like I'm with Jason. Like it it's it feels like it's breathing new life into the game and it makes it easy to just pick up a warband and play. Um you know, I think that there will always be a part of me that will miss the brain racking time-consuming thought that goes into building a championship deck. But when it comes to inviting new players to play, uh, I don't miss that at all. Yep. Um, yep. So, um, basically have done nothing on the hobby side other than make purchases because my almost two-year-old has decided that sleep is for the week. Uh, and so that means that I am not getting sleep and my wife is not getting sleep. And so I think... For the past three weeks, I have been awake past 10 o'clock twice. So, yeah, I guess three times, three times if if you count us recording right now. So So what you're saying is you're weak. I am. No, I apparently I'm not weak because I well, I guess I am weak (laughs) because I am trying to get sleep. Um, But yeah, so it's it has been uh, a. a minor hindrance in any late night hobbying, uh, which used to be my time to do that. But, uh, it will be, uh, you know, it'll, it'll phase out. We hope the other two decided to start sleeping at some point because they do it now. So I don't know when that'll happen, but I don't know, you know, who knows three years from now, maybe I'll be able to hobby again. Um, yeah. I will say just to kind of touch on a point that you both made, which was the whole open shuffle play. I definitely leaned into that in, um, in our last meetup too, because I picked up a warband that I've not played in a couple of years in the worms bat and put deadly depths with it. Just being like, yeah, let's try this out and had a ton of fun playing against Jake and his, uh, vampires so that was that was a fun game for us too yeah it deadly was, uh, depths i mean it's your deck has not changed you still only have three surges so yep just like the worm spat yep <laughs> that was really encouraging too to walk into a local shop the other day and see brian jake and another person just on a random day playing yep. underworlds yeah it has it's been awesome years since that has happened yeah it was so. really cool I'm glad. Well, cool. Well, why don't we take a break here? And uh, when we come back, we will talk about Grincrack the Great and his royal court of Gloomspite Gits. Welcome back to the looniest of the segments that we will ever do in a long time. So... We are going to talk through Grincrack's Loon Court. Um, I guess we'll start off with the uh, the fighters themselves. 
um, and kind of delve into those a little bit. Um, so the first fighter that we're going to talk about is Grincrack himself. Grincrack the Great. Grincrack is a three-move, two-block, three-wound fighter, and he has his moons, Moon Slicer. It's a Moon Slicer. Oh, he can um, slice my moon anytime. Hi, moon, moon, moon. And it's range one, two hammers, and two damage. Um, his inspire condition is three or more other surviving friendly fighters are inspired, which we will get to in a minute because they have a fun inspire mechanic for the rest of the fighters. Um, he also has a, an extra action on his card, which is a reaction called dub. Use this after a, you score a non-quest objective. Choose one other surviving friendly fighter. Inspire that chosen fighter. So the quest mechanic is a cool mechanic that we'll get to on these other cards, which is their inspire mechanics for the rest of the fighters are you score this fighter's quest objective. The quest objectives are a fun little thing that we've added in this particular deck that... Um, you can assign like a power card to each fighter. So each fighter can be given a quest to go on. You are a, a noble knight on a quest and you're trying to, f to fulfill your vow and stomp your enemies and scrag them and stab them and mob them. So are, are, are gits like noble? Are these noble gits? Well, they so think they, they think they are. So I'm going to interject, and I forgot to mention this in the intro. So I'm going to throw some recommended reading out to our listeners if you want an idea of the flavor of of the the Loon Court is, uh, and that would be to read Git Slayer, mm -hmm. which is one of the Gotrek in the Mortal Realms books, um, because it some of the chapters are from the perspective of uh, some glo Gloom Spike Gits uh, and a and a Gabapalooza. Um, but it, it kind of gives a perspective on, uh, you know, how they think, what they're thinking about their loon king and gaining glory for themselves. So if you haven't read it, check it out. It'll help you get into the mindset of these wandering heroes of the gloom. Wait, so they think they're knights for real? True, true, true story. Yeah, like not in a deluded flesh eater quartz kind no, of no, way, no. but there's they, like a king think and, they're noble. and a knight and... <laughs> Yeah. There's, you know, speaking and there is one get that speaks in like these and thou's and dust and like thou dust protest. Wow. It's 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 is actually it's really funny. This is name Van Lichtenstein. It is not Van Lichtenstein. Oh, damn. I know. <laughs> anyway, so, so. so so for these questing goblins, let's let's get into the text of exactly what it says on some of these quest cards. It's kind of long. Um, so it says, so a lot of these quests have the, a lot of these, uh, objectives have the quest keyword on them. It says you can give this to a friendly fighter that has no tokens, which is important or quests in the power step in place of playing a card, you do not draw a replacement. So that even if it's a surge, you don't just draw into your hand. Um, if this fighter is taken out of action, add this card to your hand. So if you lose the fighter that you put the quest on, you can put it back in your hand, no harm, no foul. Um, and then it has the criteria for the quest itself, which we'll get into shortly on some of the ones that we like. Um, but basically the cool thing is, is you can play it like a power card. So you play this in your power step. You can 
basically telegraph what you're trying to do to your opponent. Uh, and if you pull it off, you can inspire your fighter. And so score the rest and score it. And you score the objective. So it's kind of a twofold thing. And the, I think um, the other just point of clarification here, because it gets yeah. a little bit wonky with the quests is like in brackets says, even if you have three or more objective cards. So the way it's going to work is like you start off with three objective cards, right? You put the quests out that you want. You do not draw more cards at that point. But when you get to the end phase, the rules state, if you don't have three object, objective cards in your hand, you draw three objective cards. So you could have three quests out mm-hmm. at the end phase, draw up three, and then go into the next round and one of your fighters dies. And then that you quest card will come back into your hand and you'll have four. Yep. Now you may get to the end phase again and you have four in your hand, like you don't get to draw more, but um, <clears throat> it is cool that they don't punish you for putting these cards out. Yeah, it's not just lost, which is nice, especially the way that they've got the, but just the way they've got it formatted. Um, so, so that keeping that in mind, the rest of these fighters all have that same inspire mechanic. So, if you score their quest, if you assign them a quest and they score it, they then inspire. Um, the next fighter we're going to talk about is Grib Dewonky Lance, or do we want to talk about Grincrack's inspired side? Let's do that real quick. So. The only thing that changes on Grincrack is he goes to three hammers instead of two hammers. Um, so not much change there. Um, next fighter is Grib, the wonky lance. He is the the noble knight on his squig steed. It's one of the coolest models in the warband, in my opinion. Um, he is move four, one shield, and three wounds. Um, he has his wonky lance, which is range two. Two fury and two damage, and it has knockback one. And then he also has the squig horn, which is range one, two hammers and or two smash and two damage, which is and it also has a, a nifty little impact there, which is something we've seen on a couple different fighters across the, uh, the game, which is plus one damage when this fighter makes uh, when during a charge action. So he goes to three damage when he makes a charge with the squig horn. On his inspired side, he goes to five move, two dodge, and then he gains uh, his uh, attack characteristic goes up one to three for his wonky lance, and also the squig horn goes up to three for smash for his um, second attack. So he gets pretty accurate on his inspired side. Um, next fighter is Poke and Snark. Three movement hex, three hex movement, one uh, shield defense, and three uh, wounds. That's a trend in this warband. Nothing is above three wounds. <laughs> um, and he has his squig spear. The squig spear has a fun little mechanic on it that we'll get into in just a second, which is he has one range, two fury, two damage, and it has the gnashing keyword. Gnashing is on a crit, it has gnashing. Break one of the target's upgrades. That's big. That's real big. Yeah, I just love, can... I just love it. We've seen the mechanic before in championship with certain cards or um, certain upgrades will allow you to kind of break an upgrade. The fact that this is just like baked into two fighters in this warband is I I can't wait to have it go off. Like it's mm-hmm. it's nothing I'm going to hedge my bets on. It's like oh if I come in here I'm going to just break this uh, this uh, upgrade. But it's going to be super cool when it happens. Absolutely. Well, so snark the, on. 
Go ahead. Jerry. The flavor of it, I was going to say, is really cool because I mean, so Pokin Snark, he literally has a squig tied to the end of a spear. Like that's his weapon. It's not yep. like like he's breaking your weapon with his spear. Like he is stabbing you with a squig, and the squig is gnashing up your upgrade. I, I love it. Like just the the theme of it is awesome. Yeah the the theater the mind of it all yeah um and on his inspired side he goes to four move stays at one block still three health and then his spear gains accuracy to three fury so more likely to get that gnashing uh proc off the next fighter is snorbo de spore this is the trumpeter of the warband with his uh trumpet that is made out of a mushroom um, he is three hex movement, one shield defense, and two wounds. His uh, spore trumpet is range three, three fury, one damage, but it has stagger baked in, which is nice. Um, on his inspired side, he stays the same movement and defense characteristics and wounds, but his uh, spore trumpet gains cleave in addition. So he becomes a little more accurate against those shield defense fighters. Um, probably another one of the highlights of the warband is the next fighter we're going to talk about, which is Skulko and Pronk. This is a, uh, a pair of goblins hiding behind a shield, slingshotting squigs at the opponent, which is amazing. <laughs> They have two hex movements, so they're super slow. One defense of, of a shield, three wounds. Uh, and then they have their squigapult attack. It's range three, two fury, two damage. But it has the steady keyword and the nashin keyword. So nashing is the shared keyword with snark. Um, but they gain the steady one, which is uh, this fighter can only make this range attack once per phase. And it has plus one range if this fighter has no move and or charge tokens. So this is your park and bark fighter. If you can get him somewhere that he's got decent reach on the board, he can kind of touch anything. Um, on his inspired on their inspired side, they have they go to two defense of shields, which is great, and then they uh, gain one die on their squigapult attack, and they keep all the same special conditions on their attack. Um, and then the last two are your your uh, what we affectionately refer to as the uh, the Dangle Bros of the of the Warband, um, Moonface Nags. He has three hex movement, one shield defense, two health, and he has his his uh, humble Stabba. Range one, two fury, one damage. On his inspired side, he goes to two. Uh, dodge and he gains a, a attack die on his fury attack and then lastly but not leastly is pointy burke pointy burke has range three or has three hex movement one shield defense two health and he has a sticker it's basically a piece of metal bolted to a stick because he's lost his squig he's a noble knight that has now been uh uh removed of his steed so he's got one hex range, two fury, and one damage. And then on his inspired side, he goes to two dodge and gains one damage on his sticker. So it's a pretty diverse little warband there. 
to kind of talk through. You guys have any other additional commentary you'd like to make about the fighter cards before we move on to our favorite objectives, ploys, and upgrades? I really like the art for Skulko and Pronk. <laughs> like, I mean, that's fair. Definitely fighting against that squig to try to launch it against their opponents. <laughs> I just love the heavy theme. The theme is yeah. really awesome in the Warband. Like they all, they all just look the part of <laughs> Goblin nobility. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the models are very. There's a lot of character in all the models, um, which we really haven't seen. Like a lot of the the little gits that have appeared in different warbands are just that. They're just little gits. Like each mm -hmm. one of these feels like there's a story to be be had. Um, I also think that it's it's interesting that it's a seven fighter warband with no built in additional movement. So mm -hmm. that's like the first time that we kind of seen that with with whether it's gits or another large fighter warband um so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of play out which we can get to as we get into the objectives yep 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 so let, we're going to do our normal format of this so we'll pick what we ideally would like in our hand in the first round of a game of rivals with with these fellas so uh jared why don't you go first and tell us what your first pick for the objectives would be you yeah, so uh, I think, and this one comes with some caveats, but um, we probably want Mobum earlier rather than later. So Mobum, this is a surge, it's a quest. So it has all of the quest language that we discussed before. You can give it to a friendly fighter. Um, it's score this immediately after a supported friendly fighter successful attack action if this fighter made that attack action or supported that fighter. So you've got some flexibility in how you score it. This fighter can either make the attack action or support the attack action, um, but it requires some setup. So there are some pushes that we'll talk about later. Um, you could you know, risk it for the biscuit and just move a fighter next to an enemy fighter and just hope that you don't get murdered. Um, but uh, it's probably going to be harder to score later uh, if your goblins are dying. This so, is true. Uh, having it in hand earlier uh, with the caveat that you're looking to get some key push cards in your hand as well. Um, yeah. But or somebody tried to come in to merc one of your, your guys yeah. and missed. That's, that's yeah, true. And it's a target of opportunity. I think the key thing here and the reason we like it, turn one, uh, on a, in addition to you have seven fighters on turn one, uh, is it doesn't have to be a successful attack action. Nope. Just has yeah. to be oh, an no, attack. It does. No, it does no, have it to does. be. It does. Yeah. it does. Yeah. But if you're if you're supporting or being supported, yeah. it it increases your chances of yeah. so that happening. Which it's is a pretty good happening. pretty good odds that it'll go through, and it doesn't have to take them out of action. That's what I meant yeah. to say. It just has to be a successful attack action. So, yeah. Right. Yep. Just got to get by those defenses. So, with that being said, Jason, what is your what is your top pick for? I think that uh, the best objective in here is run them down. Like, this game requires charging, it requires attacking, and now I'm going to give one of these wonderful lads an objective that score this immediately after the, this fighter's successful attack action made as part of a charge action. You know, the only thing that, that stinks here is that it's like a one-shot type thing. Like, I'm going to put it on there, I'm going to charge, 
and I hope that that attack is successful, but I'm probably attacking anyway, and it'd be great if I can score a glory out of it uh, and inspire a fighter. Um, obviously, this is probably the one that you put on Grib um, to charge him in and, and do some work with that uh, squig horn, mm-hmm. but you know maybe you need to get one of your range fighters uh, inspired as well. So uh, I really like that one. That is my pick for hand one, turn one. I like it. I'm going to go with the first uh, end phase objective of the ones that we're mentioning, which is Loon Court Scragum. And this says, uh, score this in an end phase. If this fighter is adjacent to two or more fighters and one or more of those fighters is a friendly fighter. You got seven war, but you got seven fighters in this war band. This is a one movement score. You can, because it doesn't say you have to be adjacent to an enemy. Just says you have to be friend, adjacent to at least one friendly. So you can just nestle a person right in between two other fighters, especially since you're not moving everybody since we don't have any built-in movement shenanigans. So a couple of fighters are probably going to be sitting stationary. So you can just nestle those goblins right up next to each other and score a glory at the end phase. So it's nice and easy. doesn't require any dice rolls. just requires some fighters to be close enough for you to tuck in between them. Yeah, and uh, you know, refresh my memory, but we you went over dub, did we talk about dub in in the end phase in the, the We didn't talk about it in the end phase. Um but dub the reaction uh on Grincrack's um fighter card only works during the turn. It doesn't work in the in the end phase. So you can't react to an end phase objective. So for those of for those who are thinking, oh, I could put this objective in here and then dub my fighter in, in the end phase, you can't do that because there's no reaction step during the actual scoring phase. Um, yeah, and that's where that Loon Court Sragum is really good, is because you're yep. inspiring, you know, yep. in the end phase. So. Correct. Yep. Yep. So that's the the first. That's our objectives for this warband. Now let's uh, let's talk about some ploys, gentlemen. Um, Jason, why don't you go first this time? Tell us a ploy that you like for this warband in your first hand. So they have a they have a set of um, three gambits ploys that are start with the word Giddish. I would like to see Giddish resilience. Uh, and the cool thing about these Giddishes is like choose one friendly fighter that has a quest card, right? So all three of them are going to kind of have that wording that this is a ploy that. Um, enhances a fighter that has a quest card. This one in particular, Giddish Resilience, is plus one defense to that fighter. And then the other key to these is this effect persists until the end of the phase or until you score that card. So there's a lot of plus one defense dice out there. There's a plus one dice. There's, you know, plus move. But most of them are just for one activation. These are really cool if they're part of the quest card that they you get that benefit all the way through the round or until you score the quest. So I really, really like this. The plus one defense can help me score mob them. It can help me score some other things that I have to, you know, be adjacent to or uh, sit in enemy territory. Um, and the fact that my leader is already two block to start, like, eh, maybe I get him across and, and give him a quest. Not that he's going to score it, but you know, I could give him plus one resilient. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he'll score the quest. He just won't inspire off of it. So, correct. Um, 
Like, but it'd be really cool to give them, you know, three block or you get it onto uh, Grib and then he's on three dodge, you know, or it just, there's a lot of play in it. I really like the additional defense. Yeah, I agree. Jared, what about you? Well, you know, we love pushes. So I'm going to pick Old Pylon. Uh, and this is choose up to two friendly fighters, push, push each chosen fighter up to two hexes so that they are adjacent to the same enemy fighter. So we spoke before about uh, the Mobum objective uh, where you needed those supports. Uh, this is a really good way to make that happen. And with seven fighters and three ranged attackers, there's a really good chance that you're going to have two fighters within two hexes of the same enemy fighter. But if it's it says up to, I could just choose one. You could choose one. Yep. So this also is a cheeky little way to score Loon Court Scragum right at the end of the round. That's true. Yep. Yep. So you were gonna say something else, Jared? I was gonna just ask you what the last one was. Well, I was gonna tell you. So that's Sweet. convenient. Um so we all know that I'm the one who likes to run in and attack stuff in this in this group. So I am going to go with stab, stab, and stab again. Uh, reaction. Use this after a friendly fighter's attack activation in which they made one or more failed attack actions. That fighter makes one attack action. So you go in, you fail your thing, you now get to make an attack action. However... This does not score something that is made as part of a, a charge action, so you cannot use this to score run them down. Mm, sad. It Very is sad. sad. I wish that it worked that way, but it does not. So because you're making an additional action, it makes you make an attack action, and then it's after the, the friendly fighter's activation. So you've already done your charge. The whole uh, the whole action resolves, and then you play this. So, but getting a free attack action if you failed is nice. So, especially in two fury. Correct. Yes. Or you just be Jedrin and dome somebody. <laughs> Listen, we all know that the two fury three damage attack is the scariest attack in the game because it shouldn't hit. But you're you're afraid of it. I I hate the widow Katha. Yep. for that reason she's she's super scary people super, hate crystal well scary. for that reason <laughs> all right so we're moving on to upgrades uh i'll go first this time i guess uh let's see i really think we should talk about fortifying fungus that's mm. what i think we should talk about There's fungus like among us. it is fortifying um when this fighter is dealt damage, reduce that damage by one to a minimum of one. These are always real good, especially when you have three wound fighters and two wound fighters. That suddenly turns that two damage attack into a you need to attack me twice attack, which is great. Um, not that I think that you'd put this on any of the two wound fighters in this warband, but um, if you needed to in a pinch, you could. So that that is my pick. It's easy, straight to the point. Do less damage. Yeah. Um, Jared, why don't you go next? Yeah. Uh, so we already talked about pushes. We got to pick the other favorite, the plus one damage card. So I want some extra pointy boots, uh, plus one damage to this fighter's range one attack actions. This is uh, great for Gib. 
because uh, then the squig horn can now go to four damage on a charge, which is mm-hmm. pretty sweet. Um, and then you have other fighters that are going to get to go to three damage or two damage uh, with some additional accuracy. Um, I really dig the flavor card as a as a dad and a former teacher. <laughs> I love me a good play on words. These extra pointy boots are useful when you want to make a point. It's true. It's true. Uh, let's not let's not gloss over though that if you put this on glit on Grib, he now has a range two, three fury, three damage attack with knockback one. It's like range one attacks only. Oh, it is range one exactly. attacks. Sorry. Yeah. Put it. Ignore me. Ignore is, me. But the, I got but excited. Grib's, Grib's. It is for the horn. Squig's horn is Grib the squig or is Grib the got the get? <laughs> Grib. <laughs> Grib is the is the goblin. Fairly okay. certain. Well, I mean, whatever. so but I mean, not that we're gonna pick this card um in our top three, but you know, you talk about getting range two, range three additional damage. They do have a card to do that. The Cunning Knight is yeah. plus mm-hmm. one damage to this fighter's attack actions uh while this fighter has well, one or more supporting fighter. fighter. You know, yeah, we talked about Bold Pylon, and we'll talk about my card here in a second, uh, which is Don Tronitz, uh Square. Um, this is that card there can can also add damage, and it can add damage at range. Um, <clears throat> so that one is very good too. Uh, but like I said, my third and bestest card for the upgrades is the Downtrodden Squire, and this is a reaction after this fighter's move action. Choose one friendly fighter that was adjacent to this fighter at the start of that action. Push that fighter by the shortest distance so that it is adjacent to this fighter. Um, So if I do have that additional damage for supporting on my fighter, I can get this. The only caveat here is in that the, the player really has to be conscious of it says push that fighter by the shortest distance so that is adjacent to this fighter so if you charge and like let's say like the move three you can only get to your enemy and the fighter the shortest distance is the hex behind you so if it's like two hexes to get to you they're not going to be in support so you might actually have to go to a side or get behind to drag that square to get into support um, with the fighter that you wanted to um, but I think that, you know, the picture is the best thing here where you put it on Grib. He does mm-hmm. have four move. Maybe you have Giddish um, uh, Clarity put on it, which is plus two move to that fighter. Now you're moving six. The rest of the guys are moving five. Like, you can also have Magnificent Bounda on as well for plus one move and flying on Grib. Yeah. So you could, you could definitely make this card work to get somebody into support to score objectives, maybe to get more uh, um, um, damage. Like it, it is a really good um, combination card, and I and I want it. I want it right away. <laughs> it's it's a good card. I like them all. All right, so talk through all the different card combinations that we might want to see. So let's talk about uh, what board you might want to use. So I'm going to throw something out kind of that we haven't thrown out there before when it comes to board selection. Um, this warband has three cards where they want to hold objectives in particularly, they want to hold objective one, two, and three, right? So 
and it's a seven fighter warband. So you're probably not going to go first. You probably don't have a lot of choices where you're deploying your your fighters because you're going to use every starting hex that's on the board. True, true. I am going to, if I have choice, I may just pick objectives and place the first board. Hmm. <clears throat> because I want to place three objectives so I kind of know where it is. Um, you know... I don't know. I just want the objectives. So if I'm doing that, then I'm either going to pick the stricken swamp because no matter what way they deploy, I feel like I have at least two fighters that can kind of get into, uh, into enemy territory. Cause that's the other thing by mid to late game. You want to make sure that you have fighters in enemy territory. So you don't want something that's completely like defensive deployment or, um, hall of sublimation would be my other kind of lead board. Um, you know, I love to place engage- engagement just as I'm sure as everybody else does, but I want the objectives with this warband because I want yeah. to be aggressive and I want to land on objectives. Yeah, that makes sense. I like it. Jared, what about play style? How are we playing with these fellas? Yeah. So Jason kind of keyed into it. Um, I mean, they're very aggressive. Um, you know, I mean, they're all knights and squires and things on quests, and both those most of those quests have to do with attacking and killing. Um, but they do have, fascinatingly enough, some hold objective objectives. Um, so you want to keep that in mind. So they're flex, probably seventy percent aggro, thirty percent hold, maybe eighty twenty. Um. But the one thing that we noted in the pre-show is that they're going to be really reliant on their gambits and upgrades. Um, so a lot of times you can kind of pick the play style based on the stat cards of the fighter. Um, you can have a good idea of how successful a warband is going to be based on the stats of the fighter. Um, and at first go, uh, this warband doesn't look like it's going to be very successful. So their uninspired attacks are not as accurate. They're not doing as much damage. But by the time you apply gambits uh, intelligently and put upgrades on the right fighters, now you're looking at a warband that uh, actually has a lot of teeth behind it. Um, so it's just note that you're probably going to have ups and downs and how well your game goes, especially in the Rivals format. It's going to be largely dependent on how your gambits and upgrades come out. Um, the other thing that you're probably going to have to think about is deciding whether to score your quests or use them to inspire more fighters. So there are key fighters that you definitely want to get inspired. Grib, Dewalki, Lance, you want inspired. Um, you probably want uh, Poke and Snark inspired uh, since he, uh, you know, gets more accurate. Um, you know, you probably want Skulko and Skulko and Pronk inspired because um, now you've got a range three or four, three fury, two damage attack. Um, and then after that, like, it's not really that critical. Um, so you may opt to just continue throwing quests under other fighters, the same fighters that are already inspired, uh, but you may not. Um, and then something that came up that, uh, we didn't really think about until very late in the pre-show was that the fact that you may be able to just sacrifice Grincrack himself. Um, if you're not going to be able to inspire him, 
by getting three fighters inspired. You're not getting to use the dub reaction in the end phase. Like, he might be a viable missile, you know, in late action phase one or early action phase two. And as far as, like, goblin resilience goes, like, he's the pinnacle. That's true. I mean, two block is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, two 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 block with three wounds. Like it's not it's not ideal. Like you're not talking about Steelheart or something like that. But no. at the same time, he's still two block. <laughs> and no. there's there's a couple. I think there's a upgrade in here to give plus one wound too, if I recall. Yeah, correctly. there is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, well, cool. So. Rating, I think we said we were going to give these guys a silver, right? Well, we're going to, well, playing into them, you just, I mean, you want to do whatever you always want to do with a seven fighter warband and just farm that glory. Yep. Farm that glory. So there's just lots of opportunities to single shot fighters in this warband. Um, yeah. And the quests are telegraphed. So correct. You can yep. Kind of play against them. Yep. Um, I think this is going to be a very, uh, I think Jason said in the pre-show that this this Warband has a high ceiling, but we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's going to depend on, you know, pilot skill and, you know, just getting reps with the with the Warband and getting better with them. So they actually have a pretty potent um, Rivals deck as far as uh, Total Glory, too. Like, it's 17 as the uh as the baseline for their for their glory count so if you can if you can get them rolling they can score a lot of glory for you but i think silver just based on the durability of the fighters the number of the fighters there's a lot going on as far as like the quests and stuff too so yep but excellent ploys excellent upgrades lots of lots of things to like um, and with that, I think we'll take a break and we will come back and talk oh, about the we'll talk uh, about Nemesis. Oh, yes, we will talk about Nemesis, something we're not used to doing. So let's 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 talk about Nemesis. Um, I think that since we touched on the 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 flex the flex uh, nature of this warband, in addition to like the fact that they're kind of aggro too. There's lots of options for you. So, um, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been thinking about with these guys as far as like your rival, your uh, Nemesis deck? Yeah. So, I think that Nemesis is really where they can shine. Um, in, you know, Jared kind of, well, both of you brought it up when talking about the silver rating is um, <clears throat> when you first look at this warband. War you know, you look at the fighter stats, you look at the objectives and you're immediately gravitate to, eh, so, so. Right. And then you get to the gambits and upgrades and you're like, this is where the meat and potatoes is meat and potato is meat and potatoes are of the mm -hmm. war band. Um, so what I wanted to do was really kind of leverage dub. So I think that there's like four really easy, easy ish scores on the surges for loon court. Um, one of them might be, be just be being greedy is like, I put pick, pick on to get your own size. Uh, Cause it is a two glory score. Um, but I went for like two easier uh, kind of surges and I went with uh, fearsome fortress. Uh, 
because it you know it leverages that that mid board kind of passive aggro or um, counter aggro. So I'm still getting to the other side, um, and I put in bold uh, bold sortie and impregnable defenses because you know there's already one objective in the deck for a missed failed attack action against me. So why not make it two? Uh, and then I really like kind of try to soften the end phase scoring uh, by making stuff a little bit easier with stockpile and underground fortresses, which do similar things to stuff that their deck wanted to do anyway. Uh, and then I think co- conquered domain is just, it really could be like kind of the piece on top. So like the, I went down in total glory from a nemesis standpoint, um, but conquered domain could score me like two, three glory. If I do it right. Um, the other reason I like fearsome fortress in nemesis is I wanted to lean heavily into the stagger. So, you know, we have the good upgrades. We have the good gambits. We have some pretty good attacks, but they're just all on two fury. So why not make sure that everyone on the board is staggered? So when I go in, I get a reroll, um, you know, so, not only do I have the infaction stagger um, through my fighter, the mushroom dart blower, um, <laughs> but I added uh, the narwhal tusks and like makeshift bombardment, you know, and then give myself another attack with optimistic reprisal, uh, op- opportunistic reprisal. So, you know, I really wanted to make sure that my attacks were going through, and then I put in some some wonderful upgrades through fearsome fortress with uh, Mason's great hammer. Oh wait, it has grievous one so if i have stagger i can do some re-rolls maybe i like can remove a feature token and place a feature token to kind of line things up with stockpile or underground fortress and then i really love the star maw right because i have a ranged fighter that i really can only shoot once per turn but the star maw now gives me a range four with a stagger that if I need to plink away, I can. So I can really, really turret them up. So that's kind of where I went with the you know, mid-board control, making sure that I had easy easy surges. You know, but as you pointed out, like Fearsome Fortress is not the only option for them, right? So No, I, I think that there's I mean, they're an aggro warband primarily. So thinking tooth and claw. The only problem is that kind of fragile so you're gonna want to there's a lot of really cool pushes in this deck too so you could really leverage some of those higher damage upgrades especially since you're not going to break them immediately because your fighters are all less than four wounds yeah so there's lots of ways to to put those higher damage upgrades on fighters and get them involved um i think there's also some play with daring delvers too like there's all the plank damage in there and some very easy uh, objectives in that deck too. So, Jared, did you have any thoughts on what you might? Well, like I mean, to see? you know, so I mean, we haven't covered illusory might, but I think that's that one's viable mostly because of the attack action upgrades. Um, you know, they have things in their deck that require successful attacks, things in their deck that require you to take act- fighters out of action, um, and it's a seven fighter warband. You're going to lose fighters at some point, so might as well. Try to make an accurate missile out of mm-hmm. one or two of them. And not spend any glory to give them a weapon action. Yeah. So that's nice. 
Yeah, but the I think the thing that is definitely worth noting is that the surge pool in Illusory Might is probably the weakest, other than Deadly Depths. But yeah, you know, I would agree. Deadly Depths is like Bruno. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. We don't yeah. talk about it, right? And I mean, with Tooth and Claw, although there are definitely some cards in there that they can leverage, that that Nemesis deck wants you to be in the opponent's territory, so Correct. you could double down and do that with the, their objectives and wants you to be in the enemy's territory. But you're going to, in my opinion, you're just going to bleed too much. Yep. Um, and then Daring Delvers, you definitely could do a plank. Like Sudden Demise, like no, we already have plank damage in the Loon Court, and then you add in that plank damage. And I think we've all seen that, you know, Daring Delvers, I think all of us have played Daring Delvers and never really leveraged into Explorer and still been pretty successful with it. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, if you want to see my fearsome fortress deck, it is up on the website and that's where I'm going to start with them. Um, yep. If you take a look at the deck as the way it stands now, it is 11 and 11, but that is just, you know, for the community to understand that is the way I start. When I start with decks is I start with 22 and I cut back from there or I make changes from there. So, and by 11 and 11, you mean 11 gambits and 11 upgrades, right? Correct. And just trim down from there as you find what works and doesn't work. Uh, so, yeah, I think now we can transition, take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about some fearsome fortresses. Sounds good. And we're back, and it is a time to talk about that horrible hovel that gruesome gatehouse that what? fearsome fortress it's not a horrible uh, howl i was trying to be clever <laughs> i gotta try every now and again uh so uh fearsome fortress is the third rivals deck uh coming out of the gnarlwood season uh and uh so it is another rivals deck that has a plot card and the plot card uh, has the general, if you include one or more cards in your deck that bears the Fearsome Fortress symbol, show this card to your opponent and then reveal your warband step and use these rules in the game. The rules are as follows. After the place feature token step, a player using this plot card places one available feature token within one hex of no one's territory, but not within a starting hex, a blocked hex, a lethal hex, or a cover hex. When they do so, they can choose which side is face up. If more than one player is using this plot card, those players roll off and the winner places a token first, followed by the player to their left, and so on. Uh, so, uh, the short story is that you get to place an additional feature token, which I guess is your fortress or represents your fortress of some kind. Uh, and the reason that it lets you do this is that feature tokens that are within one hex of no one's territory are going to be pretty critical for scoring objectives. Uh, and are also fairly useful when it comes to some of the gambits and upgrades in this deck. So uh, there are no fighter cards to review because there are no fighters. This is not a warband. This is a rival's deck. So uh, we'll kick into the normal review. Uh, taking a look at this from the rival's format, uh, what are the objectives, gambits, and upgrades that you want to see earlier in the game rather than later? Uh, so... Uh, We'll start with the objectives as per usual, and uh, I'm going to kick things off. Uh, so there was some uh, some debate around this one, and we may 
pull up an honorable mention for the the card that did not make the cut. Uh, but one of the cards that we like is Bold Sortie. Uh, and so this is a surge. Score this immediately after an activation step in which a friendly fighter's charge action began on a feature token in your territory. So uh, this will not happen initially uh, because you cannot put feature tokens on starting hexes uh, when you set them up. Um, but uh, it's easy to score if you have the push to get your fighter in the right spot. Um, and it reminds me of a uh, change of tactics in that you don't even need like to make an attack roll. Um, I mean, it, it's a charge action, so you will, but it doesn't need to be successful. It's simply be on a feature token and then charge off of that feature token. And you could even charge off of that feature token onto another feature token, uh, which is probably where you want to be anyway. Uh, so, um, Easy enough to score, helps get that seed glory. Uh, Jason, you want to jump in with the second one? There's a second one? That, yeah. There, oh, be- okay. The second one will be Earthworks. Surge, score this immediately after a friendly fighter is given a guard token if that fighter is on a feature token within one of no man's, no one's territory. And the no one, the no one's territory is very important. It's where you place the the feature token at the beginning of the game, um, and everything of this fearsome fortress revolves around being close to no one's territory. I think you mentioned like you're building your fortress, and that is like the wall. This is my area. That is your area. So we're gonna bring some earthworks to the center of the the board, and we'll yeah. build that wall. I'm going to go on guard. I'm going to score glory. Yay. Yeah. And this one's nice. It, you know, it's uh, a, at minimum two activations, but if you've got pushes in hand, it could be like a single activation um, and could set you up for bold sortie. So, I mean, it seems like a pretty good combo. Uh, Trace. Yep. Uh so the objective that I liked from this is uh, Conquered Domain, which reads, score this in an end phase. If there is a friendly fighter on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory, gain one additional glory point for each other friendly fighter on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory. So this is a nifty little objective that you can score several glory off of if... Um, if you have enough fighters on feature tokens within one hex of no one's territory, it's yep. pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, you want to be there anyway. Uh, you get to put a token there, so that helps. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, it seems pretty good to me. Pretty pretty good. Pretty pretty good. Well, it also combos with one of the upgrades we'll talk about later. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wait. Yes. This is a deck yes, that does. has cards that work together to do a thing. <clears throat> yes pretty exciting um so the one card that we um decided not to include um and this is embarrassing because now i can't find my phone um proud castellan proud castellan and so this is a score in the end phase if your leader is on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory so i think that's arguably easier to set up than bold sortie sortie i don't know how to pronounce that i'm assuming it's french but uh, you may not want your leader to be within one hex of no one's territory in the 
first end phase. So it might be one that's easier to have set up to score in the second end phase or or whatever the case is. So also it's an end phase, not a search. So it doesn't help roll that glory up uh, in that first action phase. So uh, object uh, objections, objectives out of the way. Let's take a look at Gambit's. Uh, let's go in reverse order, Jason. Oh, I go first. Give us a good Gambit. <clears throat> well, I, we, I think we already talked about this when I was kind of going through the um, Loon Court. But one of my one of my favorite uh, Gambits in this one is makeshift, makeshift Bombardment. So this one is choose one friendly fighter on a feature token and choose one enemy fighter visible to that friendly to that friendly fighter. And within three hexes of that friendly fighter, pick one stagger, the chosen enemy fighter or push the chosen enemy fighter one hex away from the chosen friendly fighter. So I like it a lot in a lot of my decks for the stagger mechanic. Um, yep. Plus it, you know, it kind of goes with, uh, opportunistic reprisal. Um, in this deck specifically, but it's also a push. So um, it can be a, a counter to open up a feature token, especially in no one's ter no one's territory uh, or within one hex of no one's territory uh, for one of your friendly fighters to skitter onto. Yep. Yeah. The, the push and opponent gambits are becoming more rare. Uh, as this game goes on, which I think for the most part is good. Um, it definitely leads to fewer feel bad moments, but it also makes those decks that have them uh, that much more powerful. Trace, what else do we like? Uh, speaking of pushes, um, the other card that I, I like is take your positions, choose up to two friendly fighters in your territory other than your leader push each chosen fighter one hex towards the nearest feature token. Yep. So, and it's restricted to your leader, so that's something to take note of, is that your leader has to be around to use it. But, yep. um, but it is a nice way to get set up for, you know, some of the objectives that we've talked about. Uh, you can push onto a feature token and then charge off for bold sortie, or you can get you know, have a cheeky last minute push and put on, you know, for conquered domain or whatever. So lots of nice ways to, and pushing two fighters is a big deal. So yeah. it's really, really good for one, one card. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the last gambit that we want to look at is bound spirit. So this is uh, both a trap and a denizen uh, reaction. Play this after an enemy fighters activation. If that fighter is adjacent to one or more feature tokens that are in the same hex as a friendly fighter, Deal one damage to that enemy fighter. So, um, you know, this is pretty niche. Uh, it's going to require, if somebody charged against you, it's going to require that attack to have failed. Um, or it's going to be something that you kind of play after the fact. Um, let's say, you know, uh, somebody charged in and then they knocked your fighter off of the hex, then you could, uh, you know, push back on and you still have to be on there after uh after they maybe activate again or something. But the big deal here is that it uh, allows you to deal one damage to that fighter. And one of the things that I have noticed about the Fearsome Fortress deck is that there is not a lot of extra damage available in this deck. Um, and so figuring out how to make the best use of uh, the damage that is available is going to be the way to go. And I think to go back to 
the gambit that you picked, Jason, with makeshift bombardment. Um, a lot of what you want to do in this deck is to be on feature tokens within one hex of no one's territory. There's not a lot about killing or attacking, um, but you're still going to need to be able to do that. And so throwing stagger around is going to make sure that the attacks that you do make uh, have better chances of success. So you can make up for the lack of additional damage by hopefully landing more hits as you go through. Um, yeah, and the, I mean, the, the really cool thing about, I think they mentioned about Bound Spirit is it doesn't have to be the fighter that activated, right? So it's an enemy activation. So like, it, like let's say turn one, activation one, I charge in and I whiff. And now I have a fighter sitting next to one of your fighters. You activate and you do something, you draw a power card. I can then play this and hit that fighter. That's like across the board doing nothing like nothing with the current kind of turn because it is after an enemy's activation. Well, so it says if that fighter is adjacent to yeah, it specifically cites yeah. that, Here we that are. fighter. No, it says play this ever enemy fighters activation. Yeah. If that fighter is adjacent. Oh, so it has to be. So that it has to be the fighter that, that ends next activation. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what you get for getting me after I had one or two Chardonnays in the evening. Ooh, Chardonnay's <laughs> fancy, Jason. I like fancy, Jason. Um, yeah. So, those are the gambits, very poorly covered, uh, because literacy. Not poorly, is hard. just debating. Um, so moving on to the upgrades. Uh, let's start with Trace this time. I'm gonna go for an easy one. Do it. I like Star Maw. It's a yep. range four, two hammer, one damage attack with stagger on it. It's yep. nice and simple. <laughs> yep. Stagger your opponents from four hexes away. It's a big deal, especially yeah. on two hammers. Two hammers yeah. is nice and solid. So, yeah. Especially yeah. for a range attack. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty good to me. And like we said before, passing out that stagger is going to be critical. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason. What else we like? You're muted. This is a great segment. It is. So we're doing real good. <laughs> so I have so much editing work to do. I, you know what? There, there's two, and I could go on to just uh, different points about both. But I'm going to go with the walking wall because I think it, it is the coolest uh, card to this deck. It's really only going to probably be played when you play this deck or use this plot card. So Walking Wall is for the purpose of cards with the Fearsome Fortress symbol. While this fighter is not on a feature token, this fighter is considered to be on a feature token, and this fighter's hex is considered to be a feature token that cannot be flipped. So you're going to get no real benefit. Like, you're not holding objective, you're not in a cover hex, you're not in snare, but in this deck, there are objectives that this becomes crucial to have. Yeah. We already talked about the one. Um, so conquer domain. Now, if you have this, you can have a fighter anywhere in no man, no one's territory uh, within one hex of it and get another glory. Yeah. It really helps you score underground fortress, which is one of my favorite cards in this deck as well, where it's, that's a hold three feature tokens 
uh, and then two fighters are adjacent that are holding the feature tokens. Yep. Um, you know, it's it, it's just very very versatile. Um, it allows you to trigger some of the other like the gamut that we just talked about, spirit uh, bound spirits. It, the, the list just goes on and on. Like the card is is very important to what you want to do in fearsome fortress and given the way that map deployment can be it can be difficult to get more than two kind of in that center area so this allows the whole deck to work no matter what the deployment is no yeah i i mean i I think just thematically like for the deck it's a really cool card the fact that you're just basically carrying feature tokens with you wherever you go um, is really cool um all right, so the last upgrade that you, you want to look out for um, is the Mason's Great Hammer. Um, so this is a range one, two smash, two damage attack with Cleave and Crit Grievous one. Um, and it has a reaction after this fighter's activation. Remove a feature token from this fighter's hex, then place another available feature token in this fighter's hex. So uh, if you want to get objectives off of the board and replace them with another available feature token. This allows you to do that. Um, and um, so here we go. Well, it's, am I reading this right? So it says reaction after this fighter's activation, remove a feature token from this fighter's hex, then place another available feature token in this fighter's hex. I don't have to make this attack action to use that reaction. Like I could have this attack action upgrade on a fighter, have that fighter move or go on guard and still use that reaction. Am I reading that right? Yes, because it does not say after the fighter's activation. Yeah. Just says yep. activation. Yeah, and it's yep. not a rule under the attack profile. So like that a lot that adds a lot of flexibility into you know what you can do here. You're not stuck having to make attacks to be able to get an objective token off the table and put something else on um yeah i think that this card is like really important to score raw materials like there are a couple other cards that will will get you there um but this one it allows you to remove something off put one of the starting feature hexes down which is a snare gloom hex right yeah so then the feature token that is available is one that could be plundered that's right. true. So um, so it allows you to then place more and can get to raw materials. So. Yeah. Cool. Easy enough, other than the fact that we can't read. So uh, with our card wishes and dreams out of the way, uh, next we want to talk about boards. So I'm going to throw this into the ether. You can throw it into the ether. I'll just jump right on it. Do it. So loves boards. <laughs> I do love boards, and we'll get into like I want to play this deck with Dread Pageant, and I'm going to go way out on a limb here, and I want to go hallway. I want to like go long. Really? And yes. So, it, unless I'm really really on those Chardonnays tonight, when I just look at boards and I eliminate any of the the hexes that matter, right? Starting, feature, block, whatever. Just look at them. When you line them up long, there's two in no man, two no one's territory, right? Yeah. But if I'm setting boards and you're placing the first objective, I don't think there's a way for you to block 
where I can put one in no one's territory without you also putting one. So if the mo my first train of thought was, okay, I'm going to move like one hex in on the center row. So if I put that there, then I, if you put that one there, I can then put one kind of off center in no one's territory, just on either side of the line, whether it's your territory or my territory. And then I'm going to be able to place my feature token when everything's all said and done. So I have two in there and now I can just kind of control the center of the board Hmm. specifically with dread pageant who want to control the rest of the objectives in my territory and sit there. Um, Even with exile dead, which is the other deck that I, that I made now I can just clog the center. Yeah. Now, now it is difficult because hallway movement shenanigans are tough because you're so spread out. Um, but I do think that in this, this deck, I may try hallway, um, or even offset because if I do no one's territory or if I do just straight up, there's a ton of no one's territory and I may get more feature tokens, but it kind of like funnels everything away. Right, yeah, like there's ways get, around. I can get in your backfield. I can do all these things. Yeah, so, you get too spread out. Yeah. So interesting. That was my take on it, especially with uh, some other with other warbands that you guys were were thinking of. Again, you you do have to overcome a movement challenge when it comes to the hallway longboarding. But um, yeah. I'm gonna try it. But I think most boards have, I think uh, most of the boards that you would pick have good options for getting a fighter onto that feature token that you would want. Like I'm looking at, uh, so both the Miss Marsh Tangle and the Stricken Swamp are great for for getting one or two fighters onto feature tokens within one hex of no one's territory, whether that's on your side or in the middle. Um. I mean, I like the Chamber of Genesis. Uh, I mean, Halls of Sublimation is great because you've got, yeah. And like the, the I other, you might be onto something, Mister Murray. Again, I I got to test it out, but yeah, if you, if you're doing that, if you're Holloway, you are the one that is choosing deployment, which means your opponent has the three objectives, right? right? So the other thing too is, and you know, I used to do this when I would back in season one with the Sepulchral Guard. If I'm going to hallway you, I have a better um, chance of blocking objectives in your territory just because there's not a lot of hexes to put stuff on. Right. Right. So if you put one, the most likely move is you're going to put one on my side, again, out of no one's territory, just over the line, because that forces me to go into your territory. Right. Well, then I can go all the way, the furthest back I can go in your board to block, a, you know, a counter rear deployment yeah. and then push that second hex up towards the midline. And then hopefully now you're placing your third objective into my territory plus my second objective into my territory. I think that out of yeah. all the decks that we reviewed, you know, when we used to talk a lot about championship, we would always talk about board selection and how that could set you up for your games of championship. This deck, to me, there's a lot of pregame 
work that needs to to happen when it comes with board selection and where you're placing your feature tokens because it is so re- so reliant on being within one hex of no man's territory yeah i, I like love it. it i love I, it i want to see it in action i think i Trump think it'll be cool. coming back nice Glissette. Uh, unkillable glissette here right. she comes yeah unkillable glissette she gets stoned by <laughs> anybody Jedra. anybody that can do two damage I like to be honest. Like my first initial thought playing Dread Pageant with this deck, and again, if you want to check it out, it's already on the website. Um, is to not put Glissette. If I have to put Glissette, like Glissette's role would change depending on what way the boards were oriented, orientated. Yeah. But like the, if I'm just fighting, I'm putting the cow up front. Oh yeah, and I'm poking over the top with Vasilik. Because yeah. there's also healing in the deck, right? So oh, they can yep. heal yourself. You can heal through these cards. Yep. I have push cards. I have plink cards. Um, yeah. I'll be excited to lose against that deck. <laughs> I keep smashing my head against the wall with the Sons of Elmore. I think that Son- Sons of Elmore play well with this deck, though, too. I think they do, We're too. not there yet. No, I've no. already skipped ahead to my rivals no. or, no, or my nemesis deck. Yeah, so. that's that's okay. Um, Trace, well, how do we feel about playstyle? I mean, it's it's the uh, the quintessential hold two. It's just hold two, kind of in the middle, yeah. if you can. Um, you know, hold as many objectives as you can as long as they're stacked up within that one hex of no man's territory, and then try and leverage those hexes that you can put down you know um a lot of those things say feature token they don't say objective so that's just one thing to remember is that you don't have to necessarily be on an objective unless you're trying to score certain cards that require maths so yeah so you know it's fairly fairly straightforward it like like Jason said though it is going to take a little bit of pre-planning to try and figure out where you want to put stuff to try and give yourself the most advantageous deployment. Yeah. Um, I think this is the first really like the first deck in a long time that forces your opponent to come into you to stop you from doing what you want to do. I mean I like you know, we see that playstyle in championship, hmm. but this is certainly the first rivals deck since they started. Oh, so many months like, ago. Yeah, with, three uh, three decks ago. But I think I understand what well, you're saying. Well, it's like, I mean, Silent Menace was the first real rivals deck, right? Yeah, and then well, you've got Warband so, decks too. You're talking builds, though, right? Like we haven't yeah. seen a yeah. super passive. the The nice thing about this one is it does push activity to the center yes yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's not hold the back of your board yeah, that's yeah no you're fun. not trying to like <laughs> tuck objectives in the back and just sit there and then yeah. put a bunch of books on yourself and then score a bunch of glory off of yeah. spells and books and crap not a not a troll reading books in the corner somewhere correct um yeah so yeah i think yeah but i really like it i like and to your point jason it's i think it's very important that it pushes the play to within one hex of no one's territory. So um, 
you know, it isn't that high in the back. Um, if I'm playing against this, uh, I think my plan is to either get on feature tokens within one hex of no one's territory. Um, so do what I can to disrupt. The glory ceiling is not very high in this deck. Uh, and some of the stuff is a little more difficult to score. So if you can kind of block those crucial, you know, two glory end phase cards, um, it'll go a long way towards defeating them. And then you got to be mindful of the traps that exist. Um, so if you have them using range two or three fighters to make your attacks to try to push your opponent off of the feature tokens, uh, I think it's going to be another... Um, piece of tech that you'll want to have in your back pocket. I mean, like, just look at where you're placing feature token. Like, you're not going to eliminate that whole area, but, yeah. like, if you, if they've, if they've set boards wide, make it so they're not maximizing all two of their tokens or three of their tokens into yeah. that little window. Like, put yours okay. just on the other side, whether you want to be in your territory or their territory, Make it so they have to really work to get, you know, three lined up into no uh, within that one. So, yeah. yep, I agree. All right, you're playing only this deck, not mixing, and we're not Nemesis yet. Only rivals. You have grabbed your fearsome fortress deck. What warband are you going to pick up, shuffle, and play with? With it? Oh wow, I didn't think of that. Call me off guard, Trace. Huh? He caught me off guard. I'm he's not Trace. I'm yeah, Trace. I'm, I'm saying Trace, he's caught me off guard. What are you doing? Because he's caught me off guard. He caught me off guard too. I'm no. kidding. Um I, I think um, I think Storm I think Stormsire does well with this warband or this with this uh Oh yeah. Why is two, that two damage three fighters? So you've got plenty of damage there to to go around. You mean Stormsire or Steelheart? Um, not Stormsire. I'm sorry. Steelheart. Steelhearts. The original. My bad. The OGs. The, the, the OGs. Yeah. Um, you got Oberyn and Steelheart, and then you have Angrad Bright Shield, who when she inspires, she can't be pushed. Um, if you miss an attack, she thumps you back. So there's some extra activations there with that. Um, they do pretty good at standing on objectives too, so... I think that yeah. they're pretty sturdy with those two shields. All you got to do is make one block or one critical on your first uh, somebody coming into you. Yeah. So they're pretty straightforward. Um, that would be my one of my picks, but I don't want to take a bunch of them because I'm sure yeah. others have shared Jason, shared four bands. Jared, like no, you would know because I got I got like five. So you go. Okay, so so I, I'll 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 throw out two. Um, I think this gives the Worm Spat a good Rivals deck. Yep. A balanced Six Surge. That um, was my other one. Deck. Uh, where you're going to be missing is the kind of the Plink damage to get the Inspire. Uh, but you're focused on scoring things by being in your territory or being within one of no one's territory. So you're going to draw the your opponent in. So hopefully you'll be able to get three fighters with wound tokens and or out of action. Um, and then the other one I like for this uh, is actually Morgox Crushes, mostly because of those five wounds and hitting back like a truck. I think the caveat there is that you don't have all of the fun cards that let you add wad counters and do the damage reduction and stuff that their Rivals deck does. Um, but 
Um, I think it would give an interesting play style to the crushes that they don't really currently have. Um, but yeah, so those are my two thoughts. Jason, what are your... All right, so your- I mean, first off, like this is a very playable deck with any war warband and that's what we've that's like the beauty that we've seen out of these three rivals decks in this new season yes is like the decks themselves have the tools within them to score the objectives to leverage the gambits and then the upgrades are just the 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 special seasoning right um so i don't like you know i i want to try it with a bunch of different things my first one that like jumped right to my mind is okay. Who wants to hold their territory? Who has the bodies to do it? And who wants to keep you out of their territory? So instantly thundrix, like, yeah. Yeah. like there's pretty easy surges in here, which allow me to inspire my guys. I can reach out and touch you. And once I'm set up, I'm set up, but I've already mentioned the other war band that I, I want to try. And I think it's cool because it'll put pressure on your opponent to make a decision. And that's a Sepulchral guard. Yeah. So now I like we all, well, most of us know when you fight guard, you don't attack the harvester and you don't attack the champion. What happens when I run the harvester and the champion, I stand them onto feature tokens that you know are going to score me glory. And if you ignore them, like I'm going to probably score a lot of the objectives Again, if I'm hallwayed, you have to come through that entire board to get my little griblies. Yeah. Does that work? I I don't know. Like, because the Spoka Guard does bleed glory, but I'm going right there. And plus, the Spoka Guard doesn't have a functional rivals deck. So it allows me to play Mm -hmm. something, pick up and play and shuffle that I already have. Yep. I like those options. That's cool. All right. Uh, new player rating for the deck. What do we think? Silver, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah. I think it, to Jason's point, it's very focused. It has all yep. of the tools it needs. Um, but it does but, require a little more thought process to put into like how you're deploying. So that takes some practice to get used to. Yeah, when people disrupt you, because you have some jerk like me who just comes and plops something right in the right spot where I can block off. For Jason, does it? Jason does it all the time. But just being yeah. really thoughtful about your objective placement. Yeah, I think the other thing that uh, is going to hurt the easy playability of this deck is the the aforementioned lack of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no plus one damage ploy. There's no plus one damage upgrade. Um, so I think that's going to hurt it a little bit. Um, but there's a free attack in there. I mean. We have not seen a like ready for action style card in a long time. Is, yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Op- like, So like opportunistic reprisal is reaction play this after an enemy fighter's attack action. If that fighter is staggered, choose one friendly fighter. The chosen fighter makes an attack action that must target the enemy fighter. Like, I mean, yeah. that, that's a free attack. There's a lot of stagger in here. Yeah. You set up your your fighters. Or if you're 
shooting in the dark star moth like can hit reach out and touch almost anyone so that's true that's true anyway yeah. I, I really like the deck I, I think it's fun yeah no I'm, i mean i'm excited to get it on the table and play around with different war bands maybe maybe you'll throw guardians will have their, their Do time it. in the sun. there's Do a lot that. of reactions you'll try it there's a heal card there is a heal card mm-hmm all right so that's our that's the rivals now, Jason, we can talk about Nemesis. Oh, now we can talk about Nemesis. Now we can talk about Nemesis. So I've, I've already talked about so many Nemesis. I know eyes. you have. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and shout out early. So in our Nemesis deck library on the website, battle-mallet.com slash nemesis-decks, um, we have five, six new decks that use Fearsome Fortress. So Storm of Celestis, Worms Bat, Sons of Elmore, and Dread Pageant, Exile Dead, and Green cracks, loon port, um, and so uh, I will probably say it in the outro. But as always, we like feedback. If you have a for some fortress deck or any other nemesis deck that you want to be added to the library, please hit us up. Anyway, so with that out of the way, Jason, what do you? I mean, we've talked so, about it. Yeah, the first one was dread pageant. Like the yeah. whole two, um, I really, you know, I really liked what I was able to do. Um, leveraging leveraging the hole two and then hold the middle. I kind of give away the way I would play. I kind of flip it up. I mean, Glissette is also, you know, not bad to get up, get up in front. You can make her have um, a number of defense dice given, given this. So you can give her what the heck was the, there's a, I thought there's a gambit. Is, uh, well, distracting first. orientation is going to take a dice away from you, right? Yeah. And then you could be using. I took it, uh, or no, I didn't. Ready for anything gives me a you know a plus one defense dice till the next activation step. So yeah. you know you can definitely get defensive. Um, like I said, they have a built-in heal, so I can take punches now when I'm making attacks back. Um, shared pain, make sure that I can throw throw. Um, uh, damage to somebody else. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is I actually put bonded bodyguard in here. So this, that that's a dread pageant card with another after another fighters move action. If that fighter is not adjacent to a friendly slick slash push a friendly slick slash up to two hexes after the push that slick checks, that slick slash must be within two hexes of a Vasilic. And then this allows me to like, just suck them all in. Because uh, that move action could be an enemy's charge action and just bring everybody up for support. Yeah. Now I'm in no man's territory, so I have a, my two main fighters up there. Um, I just really, really thought it was uh, thought it was fun. You can have Hadzu sit back and and do nothing, and then come off and score bold sortie. Like there's just a lot of flex play um, um, with them that that kind of fits nicely. And at the end of the day, it's at least 17 glory that's in the deck. Once you yep. have in conquered do- domain, that could be, you know, 18, 18 19. 19. So less kills, less skills. Um, nice. yeah, I like it. I think it'll be fun. Uh, and then the other rivals deck that I put together, just I one I haven't played them a lot in exile dead. Um, and I think this one kind of triggered in the fact that 
Exile Dead wants to kind of be over right over the enemy's line, and I can kind of double down on um, the like the denial style cards, which is what is that Siege Breakers, where there's no enemies in my territory. Yeah. And then, oh, what do Exile Dead absolutely love? Stagger because oh, they, they get stagger. they yeah. get damage, and this deck gives me that stagger command. Com- gives me this stagger <laughs> mechanic a lot easier. Um, so I I thought it'd be good to try. Again, one thing to note, if you do pull my deck currently off of the website, um, I think this is the one that I have 11 and 11, or I have 10, 11. So 10, I 11, couldn't yeah. make, yeah, I couldn't make a final decision on the upgrades. Um, so, and this also has Hardy Scout, which I don't think we talked about, which is plus one wounds. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, now it breaks if it's a large fighter. Yeah. But, but plus one little... wounds while this fighter is not in your territory. So mm-hmm. as long as they're no man's land or, or no one's territory or enemy territory, they get an additional wound. Nice. So what'd you work on, Jared? Yeah. So uh, I put together Sons of Elmorn. I'm not sure if I like it or if I like the Daring Delvers deck that I put together yet. I haven't played it. So. Um, so I don't know. Um, but it, I mean, it, I mean, it just doubles down on what the fearsome fortress is going to do. Uh, and it allows, I think for what is the sons of Elmorn's natural play style, which is kind of protect your territory and counterpunch when people come in. Um, you want to roll dice to try to fish for those crits, but it may be better to do that in your own territory than trying to scout out, um, Unless you get super lucky with the two fury attack onto the core chosen. Um, Shut your dirty mouth. Yep. Uh, I'm really surprised that you didn't put the cannon in here and give it to the illegitimate son so he oh, could just shoot been, away. That would have been smart. Yeah, well, there's always time for iterations. There you go. Plus, it could give a stagger token. Like, I think, I yeah. mean. You know the objective side better, so like I'm going to take your expert opinion on like what they're going to score better, right? But when I saw this deck and I saw all the stagger and the That's fact that pe- the people that are going to come to you, yeah, like you, plus dice is great. You want to know what's what I think better in this thing? It was like I'm fishing for a crit, right? So yeah, yeah I'm rolling more dice, so I might get a successful attack. But like if I get a crit, I don't need to re-roll it. But if That's I don't true. get a crit, I get to re-roll it. So it's about That's the true. same. I, the, the odds yeah, yeah. are better to roll more dice, but yeah. a re-roll is almost just the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. No, that's a good shout. Well, you know, we iterate over things. Um, and so then the other warband, I already brought them up, is the Worm Spat. Um, and so when you can um, bring in some of their oak cards, then you get all of their, like, delicious cycle cards. So you get the plus one move, you get plus one dice on the attack, you get minus one dice from enemy attacks. Um, you know, and then you've got their upgrades. So you've got the Fecula slash um, Golgotch Vomit upgrade, which is, as everyone knows, my favorite flavor text um, <laughs> in the whole of the game. Um, and nothing has unseated that yet. Um, but I think it, it. I think that their stat blocks and some of the, the just the way that they work mechanically favors this anyway. Um, so, yeah. And then Trace, what did you put together? 
I went off the wall a little bit uh, and jumped into a warband that we don't talk about all that much um, with the Storm of Celestis. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, because as I was reading through these cards, I was like, these seem really familiar somehow. Um, and a lot of these exist kind of um in the storm of celeste celestis oddly enough like for example you know uh ready for anything there's a plus one defense card and then there's a plus one defense card in their own thing too stalwart defense so you can double down on a lot of these really you know powerful ploys and then just like Jason was saying a minute ago with the Exiled Dead, you can double dip into uh, um, Denial. Um, so you can do... Um, zone of Banishment. Zone of Banishment, and then also Siege Breakers as well. So those are two end phase glory. So if you pull both of those in your first turn and you're able to get you know, up in front of everybody and keep them from getting into your territory, that's four glory off of the off the jump just for not having anybody in your territory, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, Sounds pretty good. And then for those, uh, math problem lovers out there, if you know anything about the, uh, the storm of Celestis, they have some, some interesting, um, surge objectives that line up pretty well with stockpile, which is the, uh, objectives whose numbers add up to six or more card for two. It's an in phase score. Because they have balanced strategy, which is scored us immediately after an opponent opponent's activation if your warband holds two and four, objectives oh. two and four. Now notice after an enemy's uh, activation. Yeah. But it's still a it's still a two a two glory surge, which is pretty nice and tasty. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is bold claim, which you just have to hold a combination of objectives one three and five right um so you're already trying to get to six for stockpile so now you have two ways to potentially you know after an enemy's activation be on those objectives get two if they don't if they continue to not push you off and you are at the end of the action phase you know you get two more so cool stuff like that um they have a nice plus one wounds card in their warband already. There's ways that you can get knockback. I think I put concussive cloud in here so you can use their bow attack and knock people, knock people down with it, basically. Um, just to get them off of your territory, get them out of your face, stuff like that. Walking wall is in here. Yeah. Um, lots of fun stuff. Um, I like it. Yeah. I, I have no idea how it will play. But I think it, I want it to be good, but we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. You know, and the Stormcast bodies are pretty sturdy. So, and when they inspire, they actually get pretty resilient. Celestis goes to two defense and he can't be driven back. Uh, Aphis um, gets a reroll of defense dice. Uh, Melisande gets to add plus one to her attack actions if she's holding an objective. So it's yeah. doing the the um, inspire conditions are doing exactly what you want to do anyway, which is, which is stand on stuff and do some damage. So I like it. Yeah. Be interesting. I'm going to try it out. See how it goes. Sweet. Anything else? I think that's it. 
Cool. Well, we will uh, take a break, and when we come back, we will close out the show. And we're back, and that will wrap this up, the 47th episode of the Battle Mallet Podcast. Uh, as always, we appreciate the listens that we get, the feedback that we get. Um, we appreciate everybody that knew that has been joining the Discord server uh, and striking up conversations uh, around uh, this new wonderful Nemesis format. Um, if you uh, want to follow us on social media, we are Battle Mallet Podcast on Facebook, Battle Mallet One on Twitter, Battle Battle Mallet Pcast on the Instagrams, and hopefully we will start posting there more regularly. Um, as we are getting out and into the world uh, and playing more games, um, hopefully doing some hobbying here soon. Uh, we do want to let everyone that is local to the North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, or anybody that's just feeling super spicy and wants to travel to Columbia, South Carolina, uh, on January 7th at that computer store, a uh, friend of the show, Brandon Huss, is hosting a Nemesis tournament. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Jason and I are planning on attending trace is likely not attending, uh, unless plans get shifted out around a lot. Um, but if, uh, that is something that's up your alley and you think you'll be able to make it, we would love to hear from you. Um, and, and, uh, for you to let us know that you'll be there. Yeah. Uh, And if you're in Raleigh, I have car, we are driving, just catch a ride. Yeah, we, we will be going down out. and coming back in the same day. Yeah, oh yeah, it'll be tons of fun. Uh, if 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 Jason and I end up riding together, then you can experience the uh, <laughs> two ounce bladder that is my bladder, uh, and stopping every forty minutes. Uh, yeah, so it should be a good time. Um, I don't, I don't think there's anything out. Keep an ear out for other upcoming local events. I know that we're in conversations with some of the other local stores to the Raleigh area. They have the OP kit um, that TJ so kindly uh, let us basically distribute uh, as part of the event that uh, was hosted at his store, the Games Workshop store here in Raleigh. Um, So we'll be trying to set up some other events uh, and or leagues. And Jason, we're going to kick a league off in the new year for Nemesis. Yeah. So we're, I mean, local O'Reilly will start up at the end of January. Um, but the fact that these two kits kind of came up to us just this past week, um, we may, we have a lot of planning to do, but I can guarantee all of our local players that we will have a league starting end of January into February. Uh, and we'll probably will have another event sometime in February. Um, we have a lot of thing, a lot of irons in the fire to make sure that we continue to support our local players, um, both with multiple shops and multiple ways to play. Sweet. So I guess that's it. So, uh, for the battle mallet podcast, uh, we are, uh, loon King, uh, squig on a stick and a mushroom trumpet blower. Oh, I'm the trumpet blower. Yeah, you are. <laughs> this is Jared signing out. It's <laughs> signing out. And I'm Jason Table New Murray. Get the hell out of here. Peace.
Battle Mallet podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. If you have further questions as to its use, you can find more information via links on podcast.battle-mallet.com. Music by Anno Domini Beats. We'll cut it out in post. Or not. We'll leave it in and everybody will laugh. I can't read.